Bob Myers, new general manager of your Golden State Warriors. And this is an interesting story, okay? Bob Myers, interesting story. Listen up for a second before we bring him on. From Danville, went to Monta Vista High School, okay? So he's a local kid. Played at UCLA. UCLA basketball team was on that NCAA championship in 1995 when they beat Arkansas. He was on that team. Then he becomes a sports agent. Okay, he's a sports agent. He represents NBA players negotiating their contracts on behalf of players. Does that for 14 years. All right. Now works on the other side of the table. Okay, now he's working for the Warriors as their GM and is the second youngest general manager in the NBA. Oklahoma City has a 35-year-old. Bob Myers at 37 years old. Your new general manager taking over for Larry Riley, who we had on the show, ironically, about three weeks ago. Bob Byers, new general manager of the Golden State Warriors. Welcome to the Law of Sports, Bob. Thank you for joining me this morning. That's a good introduction, Ivan. I appreciate that. That was great. I'm well, I'll tell you, well, I appreciate you joining me, and uh, your story is fascinating to me. Uh, and I mentioned earlier in the show, it's very seldom that you see someone who represented players and then becomes an executive for the team. It has happened. I know that. I can't think of Lee Steinberg's former partner. I can't think of what the Arizona Diamondbacks, so I guess was a part owner. But usually club executives were not necessarily agents, especially like you. You know, tell me, I just, the first question is, why did you quit that business and decide to become uh, an executive? Oh, man, Ivan, you know what? That was, um, that was tough. That was a tough decision because as an agent, you build a practice, and it's hard. I mean, agents agents get a bad rap, but but a lot of it's deserved. I mean, it's a brutal business, and you uh, it's very competitive. But once you reach a point where you've built a little stable of clientele, it's a good it's a good feeling because you know you can't get all fired in one day, and and the risk. Uh, working for an organization is is uh, you have one client, so to speak, and that's your ownership group. And if they don't like the way you're doing things or if you're not producing, you can be let go. Whereas if you're an agent and you have 15 clients, you're not going to wake up one morning and 15 clients fired you. It's kind of like law. (laughs) It's kind of like me as a lawyer, Bob. I mean, it's hard for all my clients to fire me at once. And look, I got fired. I mean, there's guys that uh, wanted to choose different representation. And I also was blessed with certain players that wanted to switch um, to me. So you get it both ways. But as an agent, I felt like I was in a good place. And I'd worked hard to get there. Uh, and so when I made the decision to leave, it was very difficult. But I, I made it somewhat somewhat easily in some respects because of the Warriors, because it was the team I grew up rooting for, uh, and because my family's up in the Bay Area, my wife was from there, my wife went to high school up in Alamo, and so did I. So it just lined up so well. But I think the thing that put over the top, Ivan, was, was our ownership with Joe Lacob and Peter Goober. They interviewed me in a lot of respects, but also in some way I was interviewing them to say, is it worth putting aside 15 years of building a practice to take a, a risk in some respects for me, although a risk I was thrilled to take and join the Warriors. So it was, it was hard. Very glad I did it. Um, I, I didn't really want to be an agent. I've been for 30, 40 years of my life. I mean, I think <laughs> I right. you were getting too old now the yeah. play you weren't you couldn't go out and stay out till three in the morning and oh. party with these guys i mean you know maybe, you know maybe they saw yeah. you i don't yeah. know i'm just kidding no you know what it's um it is a young man's business it's a young man's business and uh, not that this one's less ours i will tell people um and i'm actually somewhat surprised a little bit to the general manager uh, you work a ton. I mean, not, not that people don't believe that, but an agent, you work a lot as well. But this this position 
really nonstop. Uh, you're always thinking about it, four in the morning, thinking about who you should trade. And but the difference, Bob. Like, let me insane. just interrupt. Let me just cut you off right there because you said something interesting. Look, as an agent, you're representing players. You're negotiating contracts. Now you're in more of a decision-making job in terms of basketball. I know, I know you have Jerry West there, and et cetera, et cetera. I know you have a relationship with him. But now you're trying to build a team. Discuss that difference between negotiating or representing negotiating contracts or representing players, and now you're not doing that. I know you have to deal with contracts, but now your mindset is building a team. I mean, do you have the qualifications to do that? <laughs> I hope so. I, that's, that's the plan. Um, yeah, I, I believe so. I think so much about uh, this profession and, and any businesses, your relationships, your experiences. Uh, I've done a, quite a bit of negotiating, probably more than a lot of general managers would do because as an agent, you may have 10 – uh, maybe five free agents a year uh, that you have to get jobs for. Whereas, I understand uh, that. I understand that, Bob. But I'm talking about building a basketball team. Okay, what is your – and this is the law of sports, man. It's not like any other talk show. We talk straight up. What is your experience? What is going to convince the fans that you know how to build a basketball team? Well, I'll tell you what. It's easy. It's not easy to do, but it's easy to know how to go about doing it. You don't make mistakes. You pay players what you think they're worth. You draft players. You trust your scouts. You make good decisions. You don't, uh, you don't make rash decisions. You don't make short-term decisions. You make decisions with conviction. You use people like Jerry West, who've been doing it 40, 50 years. You use your scouts. Larry Riley, who's been in the business 30 years, director of scouting now. You don't think you know everything. Uh, and, and again, ultimately, you have to provide leadership. When a time comes to make a decision, a big, big decisions, whether it's trading a player, drafting a player, signing a player, uh, nobody does it alone. And if you try to do it alone, I think you make mistakes. So uh, tell so me, I, so tell me, Bob, and I'm going to put you on the spot, and this yeah. is going to be like no other interview you've done, but this is going to be real, okay? Uh, tell me, so tell me. Who the, how you make decisions. Like, we'll take a call in just a second on the Andrew Bogut trade. When you made that trade, how does that – I mean, you talk to Jerry. You talk to your scouts. I mean, tell me what you do and what everybody else does. Tell me the dynamic that goes on with the Warriors. So, good, good question. So, when you make a trade, when you do anything, and everybody has a different process. You have a process for how you deal with your clients, how you work in your business, how you run your show. Everybody does it differently. You do what you think is best. You do what you think no, is best. No, right. I'm just interested in you becoming an agent and now a GM. So I'm interested in how you're making this transition. Well, as an agent, it's, it's different. I mean, I, Darrell Wright, I did his deal with, with Larry Riley and called him up on the phone. And you like Darrell? Yeah, I like Darrell. It's a one-off transaction. I don't have to worry about No, but I mean, when the Warriors hired you, though, when the Warriors hired you as their GM, did, they, did you discuss with them or did they discuss with you? I know you played at UCLA, okay, and I know – you know, you've negotiated these contracts, but your 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 background, your your vision for the team in terms of not a contract negotiator, but as someone who can build a win a winning NBA team. Yeah. Well, nobody look until you do it. Until you do it, saying that you can do it to me doesn't mean I, I believe I can do it, or I wouldn't have taken a job. This is a team I've been watching for twenty years. I'm a, I'm a. This isn't. I, I didn't go to work for the Grizzlies or another team. That's just a job. This is more than a job for me. It's a passion. So if I didn't believe I couldn't do it, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have taken the job. If oh, I, I think you'll myself. do a great – absolutely. But, 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 but to back to your point in regards to how it's done, how do you make decisions, bogey trade, things like that, what we did for that specific trade was and, – and, and a lot of people don't realize, Ivan, when you make a deal, there's, there's, that, there's months 
six months of conversations, five months, four months, deals change, they change quickly. But at the end of the day, we walked in that room, and in front of us there was three deals. And I'm not going to get into what they exactly were. I could tell you offline at some point. On the day of the deadline, I said to our group, and, and again, I was assistant general manager at the time, but I had a voice in the room. And Jerry West is in there, our owner Joe Lacob's in there, Kirk, Kirk Lacob, Travis Schling, Jerry West. We're all sitting there, and we're keeping Mark Jackson in the loop, although he wasn't in the room because the team was on the road. And we laid it out, and I said, look, here's our three options, okay, A, B, C. And I said, and D is do nothing. D is nothing. Don't make any deals. So we put them all out there. Looked at Jerry and looked at Joe and looked at Larry. And, what do you guys want to do? And everybody had an opinion. Ultimately, what we said to everybody was, if you pick one, you have to explain why you picked it. And if you pick none, you have to be comfortable with where we're going as we are. You have to believe that this team with Monte Ellis, Stephen Curry, Epeudo, all the guys we had was going to be a playoff team. And if you believe that, that's okay. And I, I, I'd be curious to think what you think. But ultimately, No, it was, it was not a playoff team. Yeah, right. And, and you had your best players, a 6-2 guard yeah. who shot right. most of the time, who was an undersized yeah. off guard who couldn't play defense that well. He was okay, but he wasn't a good defensive player. I know Jerry West didn't like him. He thought the backcourt was too small. Well, I'll tell you what, ultimately we settled on the Bogut deal was the best deal in front of us. And it's not that we just felt like we had to do something because you don't just do a dumb deal. Absolutely. But we felt like that was the deal that could get us going where we wanted to go, realizing realizing with, uh, with good authority that, that that was going to be a painful process because you're trading for a player that can't play right now. But we don't get Bogut. Unless we're able to make, unless he's injured, that's that's the bottom line. And that's taking a a a little card from the Billy Bean stack of tricks. That's what Billy Bean does. He did that with Bartolo Colon, who's had a great season so far. Is he takes great players or very good players who have been hurt or something's a little bit wrong with them, and that's how he brings them in. You know, and then they do well and they go somewhere else. You've got Bogut signed for a while, and you know what? Now listening to you and talking to you, you're a sharp guy, and now I can see. Now I kind of see what's going on here. You know, you're almost kind of the brains behind this thing. You may not maybe be making all the basketball decisions, but they need somebody like you, a sharp young man who could put the stuff out there and sort of frame everything. Now I'm well, kind you, of getting you, it. You and I share that we 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 passed the California bar. You can't be a dummy. I think uh, you know that that process of three days of pain, which you went through as well. I'm sure you'll never forget it. <laughs> if you can do that, uh, you can you do know. anything. Okay, let's go to Walter and Oak. I've been holding patiently. Walter, welcome to the Law of Sports. Bob Myers, special guest, new GM of the Golden State Warriors. Welcome, Walter. Yeah, hey Ivan. Hey, great show. Thank you for Thank calling. You. Thank you for Talk listening. This morning, Bob. Thank you. Thank hey, you, Walter. Hey, I was uh, I went to the uh, the Hornet game, the second to last game of the season, and I I was I had to say I was rooting for the Hornets. The game was close because I, I want the Warriors to get that uh, the draft pick. You know, Bob, Walter, and, thank you for mentioning that. And, Bob, that's something I was going to ask you. Can you please explain to Walter, myself, and the listeners, what is the re- the scenario with Utah, with the pick? Can you kind of flesh that out for us, please? Yeah, and you know what? It's a, it's a fair point because it's not an easy it, – it, for a fan that doesn't follow it, extremely closely it's a little it's a little complex and make it simple what are we getting bob i want to know what we're getting this this year in the draft what do we got i'll tell you i'll tell you what we have we have a 72 percent chance of keeping our pick why do we have that well it's protected to the top seven meaning if it falls outside of the top seven we lose it it's gone 
if it falls anywhere from seven all the way down to one, then we keep it. The only picks we can have, because the way the lottery works is, the lottery works for you to move up to one, two, or three. So we'll either have seven, one, two, or three. Love to have one. I think there's a 4% or 3.6% chance to that. But if any team behind us moves up, meaning 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, if they get lucky and the balls bounce right for them and any of those teams move into the one, two, or three spot, that then knocks us back one peg, assuming we don't move up. So then we're out. And there's a 28, roughly a 28% chance of that happening. So as we're there sitting there, it's a, it's a big deal to either this is very unusual a lot of times you go to the lottery and say well look worst case we we move from seven to eight or nine so what i mean that's not great but we have our pick for this for for us in typical warrior fashion unfortunately we got to change it it's all or nothing here i mean we have to move up or stay where we are or we lose the pick it does seem strange to have lottery balls bouncing around determining if you get a draft pick or not it just does seem weird it's not great and i'll tell you what it's uh, in the past, somebody told me over the last 14 years, the Warriors have either moved back five times and stayed where they are nine. That's not a great string of luck. No. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, we can get a break this year, but, you know, you don't know. You don't know. But that's where it is. That's where it stands. Walter, go ahead. Finish your call. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Walter. I don't like to interrupt the callers. Go ahead, Walter. Um, yeah, and I, I just want to – the the Warriors, it seems like the the philosophy of the team over the last, you know, with the Don Nelson era, the you know, with the uh, the run TMC, has been kind of an up tempo, uh, you know, fast style of basketball where you go small. But but even with Don Nelson in the heyday, you don't get to the playoffs, or when you get to the playoffs, you can't win in the playoffs because you don't have a big man. That's why I love the Bogut trade. Because I think it's a, a, a new philosophy where you go big, it's going to get you into the playoffs, and then when you get in the playoffs, you can win some games. And I, I just wanted you to touch bases on, on the philosophy of the team, kind of getting away from, um, from that up-tempo. I mean, it's great for the fans because they score a lot of points, and it's exciting to see guys running up and down the court. And you get a free but pizza I, if I you get to 100 get points or something or like you, that. Or win games. Yeah, you know, Walter, I, I think you speak for a lot of people, um, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is winning basketball is what matters. It's nice to watch. If you're going to lose, I'll give you that. If you're going to lose, make it entertaining. But come on. I mean, what are we doing this for? What do you go to games for? What are the fans in it for? What am I doing? I wouldn't take a job if it was, hey, make it look good and lose. The job is to win. Uh, fans show up to win. People choose to cheer for a team because they want them to win. And I think having a guy like Bogan, and love Walter, anybody that comes across this guy, he's serious. And to, put, to win in this league, you have to take it seriously. So when I talked to Bogan, I went down to L.A. and saw him after he had his, his uh, ankle surgery, and he's looking at me and talking about, we need to do this to get better. We've got to add more defense. Well, this, this is a player that I played against in the league that can help us. He's all about winning. And he's obviously a huge man. He's seven feet tall and He's, uh, he, he says all these things with, with a serious that makes you believe he can get us to where we want to go. And, um, look, if he's healthy, 2010-11, he, was, he, was, he led the league in block shots and can't find a better defensive anchor. We haven't had one in so damn long. So we're, uh, we're just excited about it, and we think he can get us. We, keep, we think he can get us to where we want to go.
You know, and that's what you need. We have to take a quick break, but I just want to finish with this point. And that's something the Warriors haven't had in a long time, really. Like you say, somebody to protect that middle, protect the paint, someone who can block shots, someone who can rebound, someone to take the pressure off. And, you know, and that's Don Nelson, the small ball, the point forward and all that stuff. And even Don Nelson says he never had a great center. The best center he ever had was an old aging Bob Lanier with the Milwaukee Bucks when he coached there. And, uh, and that's something the Warriors, you know, I, I know that's what you're going for with Bogut. And that way that takes the pressure off of David Lee, takes the pressure off of everybody. And, look, when the Warriors won the championship, and I hearken back to 74-75, and I do want to ask you about Rick Barry after the break. Look, you look at Clifford Ray and George Johnson. That's such an underrated aspect of that team when they won the championship. Those two guys gave them 10-15 points, 10-15 rebounds, 5-6 block shots, played great defense. That was an incredible one-two punch. Were they all-star players? No. Although George Johnson was one of the best shot blockers to ever play. But you got a lot of production. And you look at the Warriors now in the last few years, nothing in the middle. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So I applaud that trade of Andrew Bogut. I think it was a brilliant trade. And talking to you and listening to you, you, you know, you've got your head on right. And I think the Warriors now are in the right direction. It's very, very encouraging and interesting listening to you, Bob. Look, we have to take a quick break. We've got callers on hold. Bob Myers, new GM of the Golden State Warriors. This guy's got it together. The Warriors are in the right direction. I could see why Jerry West hired him, and he's got the Warriors in, in good stead. We'll be right back with the Law of Sports after this brief timeout. Everything's going to me. I mean, like I said, I can affect the game in a lot of different ways, um, but the talent that we have on this team with David Lee and Steph Curry and a couple of veterans in Darrell Wright, um, Clay Thompson's a, a rookie who's, who's getting better and better. Um, obviously, we, we've made some moves to acquire some draft picks in the future too, so this is going to be a young, exciting team, and, and I think you know we're, we're going to build for the future and keep getting better. Bogan, you can tell that by his accent. We've got great Bob Myers, the great new GM of the Golden State Warriors on the Law of Sports. The Law of Sports, like no other show, we let the callers talk directly to the guest. Let's go to Neil and Berkeley around with Bob Myers, new Warrior GM. Oh, good morning. Thank you, Ivan. This is a great show and another great guest. This is my favorite show. You should be on prime time. Hey, um, uh, I have a couple of questions. You know, as the GM looking forward, I'm kind of curious. As I look at these playoffs, I just see so many star players that aren't getting high salaries. I see all these, a lot of these enormous contracts that don't follow through. So I'm just kind of curious what your philosophy is on paying for these really high-priced players, like like a Montiel for $60 million or the Warriors at Dunleavy for 40 or Troy Murphy. There's such a history in this organization of paying a lot of money for lousy players. So I'm kind of wondering, since you were on the other side of that, how you now see this as the GM? Is it Neil Wright? Yeah, yeah. So, Neil, that's a good point. And and what what the rules have done now with the new CBA, it's even made it more important to spend wisely. Whereas before, you could get away with going into the luxury tax and going over a seventy million dollar payroll, and then the Knicks would do it, Lakers do it, Dallas would do it. You probably heard a lot of Cubans' comments recently saying the new CBA changes the way people are going to spend. Used to be, if you go over that seventy million dollar threshold. All you're doing, as far as being penalized, is paying money. It's a tax, so it's a dollar-for-dollar tax, kind of like baseball. The way, and if you're wealthy and you're making a ton of money as an organization, you can say, you know what, I'll pay the luxury tax because it's just money. Um, it doesn't hurt me in any other way. The way they've changed the rules now is if you go over that luxury tax threshold, they've created some system limitations. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a full mid-level contract. And in general, what it does is it limits your ability to change your team. So why do I say that? 
Now it's even more important. You look at some teams, if you have three max players, let's say a max player is $20 million a year, between 15 and 20. So if you have three guys like that, that gives you about $50 million, $60 million of payroll. The salary cap is 58. If you pick three players, like Miami's done, and pay them, they better be able to produce. So you can't pay three guys. And look, maybe they're worth it in some respects. But as a group, if you pay three guys, two guys, max money or big money, that means you have to be competing for a championship because the rules don't really give you much more flexibility beyond that. So, Neil, I think you ask a good question. When you're focused on paying a guy $10 million plus, that player not only has to be an individually good player, but you have to see something in that player that says he makes other people better, he's a unique player at his position. Look, if it's a seven-footer, like a guy like Bogut or other players, you recognize you have to overpay those guys sometimes because they're not out there. There's no seven-footers that you can just pick from. There's only a certain amount of them that can play. But if you're paying a small forward or a shooting guard a big-money contract, you better believe that he's going to get you where you want to go. Not only that he's a 20-point guy, but he's a 20-point guy that can do it in the playoffs, that can defend his position, that can rebound in his position. So those days, I think you're going to see now, The days of players just getting overpaid because you look at his numbers and say, oh, he averaged 20 a game and three assists, but his team didn't win. That's going to come to an end. You're going to have to see guys now getting paid that actually have produced and make other people better, can defend, do a lot of other things. Neil? Well, well, then what about what? So, so what are the Warriors do? You've got all this money in David Lee, you've got all this money in Bogut now, and then you've got Curry, who we don't even know if he can make it through half a season. So what? What do the Warriors do? Because David Lee is not an athletic guy. He's a skilled guy, but not an athletic guy. What's the philosophy to get some strength, some power, some athleticism in the team? And then what do you do with Curry? Here's what you do. Uh, Bogut, Bogut, I think, is worth his, worth his money. He's been an all-NBA player, meaning he was right. third-team all-NBA one year. So he's easy. So you've got to see how Lee and, Cur- and Bogut work together. We think it'll work. We think uh, Bogut will make Lee better. We don't feel like Lee is great as a center. Uh, he can play center. When he plays center for us, we struggle. It's uh, it's not really a knock on him. I don't think he wants to be a center in the NBA, although he's been put in that position quite a bit. We think with Bogan and Lee together, they're going to complement each other. Uh, they're going to be a very difficult cover. Where where Lee will struggle on certain situations, Bogan can help him defensively. Uh, Lee but, what a, but, 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 Bob, but what about what Neil is asking? What about the athleticism? Okay, what about we have that? To get athleticism. We have to get that. that. That is where, if you look at our roster, and that's the point, and I'm not going to run from it. We have Curry and Clay Thompson in the backcourt, arguably. And a lot of people throw these things out there. Arguably, that will be the best shooting backcourt in the NBA. Uh, what is, and, and I'm not saying it's going to be the best backcourt in the NBA. Be careful uh, of, what, of what you're hearing. Best shooting, meaning two guys that can shoot 45, 40 to 45% from three. What does that mean? You cannot leave those guys. A lot of, lot, lot of backcourts, you have one or two guys, maybe one guy in the backcourt can shoot. That will be a tremendous shooting backcourt. What does that mean? When you throw the ball into David Lee, who's been pretty good in the post. I thought he had a good year on the block. He's a difficult cover, or Andrew Bogut, for that matter. You cannot leave. You can't just run off Steph Curry or run off Clay Thompson. If you do, they'll, they'll make you pay with a three. That doesn't answer the question. The question is, what do we need? You're right. We need athleticism. We need athleticism either backing up Lee at the four. You know, Rush, Rush is a pretty good athlete at the three. Uh, he gave us athleticism there, but the knock on us will be. You mean somebody who can run is what it comes down run to. Run and jump. Yeah, right. Finish and play the defense. Rim. Yeah, defense. Defense. Shut down defense. I mean, all those things. I mean, if you look at 
if you look at the good teams, there's a balance without them. You can't have just all athletes that can't shoot and aren't smart and can't pass. That doesn't work. But what you can have is a combination of both, where you say skill guy uh, next to an athlete or athletes coming off the bench or an athlete sprinkled amongst the starters. But that's where we have, we're deficient. But, but it, to me, this is what I think, guys, harder to find really good skill players. And now it's, it's the best combination is to find an athlete that's skilled. Those are the max players. Um, those are the ones you really want to go after. But we think we have skill. We need to add some athleticism. Can I ask one more question? Yeah, go ahead, Neil. Go ahead. There was a time where there was a real premium on uh, finding gems in foreign countries and all these foreign athletes. And, I, and I'm kind of wondering what your view is of this. Just, I think they've kind of turned out to be a little bit of a bust uh, overall. But I'm kind of curious if you have any hidden gems somewhere or the foreign invasion is kind of slowing down a little bit. Yeah, you know, there was a time, um, I think it reached its height four or five years ago, where everybody thought you just draft a player with an Eastern European last name and he was going to be an all-star. Well, that, that's over with now. There's been enough failures uh, from Europe, and there's been a lot of successes where people now have looked a lot closer at it. And, and Neil, it also used to be where you could out-scout or find a player that, and you use the word gem, that nobody knew about, that's almost gone now as well, whereas Europe is covered well, Asia's covered, uh, South America's covered. So you have people working out there to find these players. So it's not, a, it's not a, all of a sudden this great mystery when a certain player's drafted. You, you know who the candidates are. But, but look, if there's one player in Brazil that's, that's the best player in the country, that guy might be pretty good. So you just have to analyze it. But I think you're right. It's it's not like it was. There was a feeding frenzy four or five years ago where you know, guys were just taking guys from Europe because they thought they were from Europe and they'd be great NBA players. That's over with. So now you just scout them like you would anybody else. And they have, they play a different game. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. you got to be smart about how you evaluate them. Don't forget Don Nelson. It's one thing about Don Nelson. He got a lot of good European players from Barcelona yeah, to Dirk and all that. Neil, thank you very, very much for the call. we got to jump. Hey. I want to get to a few more cars. Let's go to Riley. Riley in Bodega Bay. Welcome to the Wild Sports with Ivan Gold and Bob Myers. You're on. Hey, great show today. And, Bob, I want to thank you for your honesty and your insight. It's uh, very refreshing. Um, my question, I've got a couple of questions. But uh, first off, you know, what's, what's, one other thing I want to say is what's amazing, coming from your uh, point of view of being an agent where you were trying to fleece the owners, uh, <laughs> I think you have a good insight into the other side of it of not being fleeced. What do you think? It's funny. We, it's a, it's a good point, and I, I believe that myself. Um, I've had we, there's there's a thing called restricted free agents in the NBA, and you probably know that and follow that. And it means the team that owns the player can match any contract. Well, it's interesting as an agent when I would have a restricted free agent, and I only know this because I sat in that chair. I realized how hard it was to get any team to bid on my player uh, because the team would know that the, the home team was likely to match. So just knowing that, just sitting there saying, I've been there. <laughs> I've sat across from my client when he's asking me what's going on, and I have to tell him, look, everybody thinks that your home team's going to match, so everybody's paralyzed. Nobody's going to make you an offer. Just knowing that. And, look, sometimes you'd get an offer sheet, sometimes you wouldn't. Ninety percent of the time you don't. But just drawing on that experience of kind of knowing – what the agents are thinking. I know what they're thinking, not because I'm a mind reader, but because I've probably been in the situation they're in. So, yeah, I think it's helpful. I think it'll help our team. That's the, that's the whole point. Riley? 
That's cool. Hey, uh, one thing I have to, where I think we're very weak, and I hate to say this, but I think Coach Jackson um, just isn't up to par being an NBA coach. And I was wondering what you think about uh, somebody like Rick Barry, who I, I don't understand why he was never made an NBA coach. He's so fascinating to listen to uh, day in and day out. Or, you know, like going uh, out of the box a little bit, maybe a Tara Vanderveer. What do you think? Well, you know what? I think both the people you mentioned are highly respected and been highly successful in a lot of walks of life in sports. I mean, they've both shown they can win and have won in a lot of different ways, intelligent people. We believe in our coach. We believe in Mark. I've known Mark a long time. I feel like uh, we didn't give him a full deck last year, and uh, this year we feel like we've given him a roster that he's expected to win with. He knows that. He's not afraid of that type of pressure. And we joke. I mean, I talk to Mark all the time, and uh, we almost uh, every other day or every day, and I said, hey, man, this roster now, this is, uh, you're supposed to do something with these guys. And he knows it, and uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't run from it, but, but now there's some accountability that there may not have been before. When we made that Ellis trade, we recognized we were going to take a step back, at least in the short term, but now that's over with. That losing is over with. Now it's time to win. Translated, Riley, Mark's got one more year to do it. He's no, got to do it this no, year. No, I, no, no it, you know what? Translated is we're giving him a roster we think he can win with, and um, I think he believes that too. And we believe he will. And uh, that, that, that's where we are with Mark. We believe he's going to do a great job with the players we're giving him. Okay, Riley, you got 60 seconds. Keep going. Well, what do you think? Like uh, do you think there will ever be a female coach in the NBA? So, I mean, Tara Vandiver is probably, I think, the best coach in basketball, college or uh, pro basketball. And, you know, she's stuck in. Uh, uh, women's basketball. Do you think there will ever be uh, a female head coach in the NBA? You know, it's interesting. I, I'd love to see a female coach, and I'm not saying it wouldn't happen in the NBA. Or at least maybe. an assistant coach. Yeah. Well, 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 there's two ways I would answer that. One, an assist, a head coach in men's college. Would that ever happen? Would a woman ever coach men's college players? Or two, like you said, Ivan, I think if you're going to do it, you don't just jump right into it. You start as an assistant, see how it goes. But to that point, to, to, to you, I think Riley both uh, one one thing people don't realize is uh, being an NBA coach is not just drawing up on the on the whiteboard X's and O's and saying run this play after timeouts we're running this we're running this zone coverage this is our this is the way we defend the pick and roll it's so much about managing people it, you're, you're dealing with young men from all walks of life and trying to fit them together that's what Phil Jackson was so good at dealing with dominant personalities dealing with the Shaq and Kobe. Every day in the L.A. Times being written about They don't get along. How do you manage that? And how do you manage that? Speaking of that, we have to manage the time. Everybody, Bob, please, we have to cut. I want to have you on the show again. You've got to promise me, and I'm going to talk to the words. I want to have you on within the next couple of weeks. Is that okay? Yeah, Raymond Ritter is my boss. I will, I will get into I gotta have you back on. You know why? Because we've got a bunch of callers I couldn't get to, and it's a great show. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate it. 